uh, just ran out of time and it didn't get to cover everything that I wanted to cover. And I was wanted to reference one of the verses that is infamous in Christianity, the just shall live by faith. And the just shall live by faith. And, and I, I, I tagged just a little bit of a little bit uh, different uh, application of that. Not only does live mean being recreated or born again, made alive by faith. How many know we are made alive through faith? We have received the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, so we have that life. But also we live, our faith shapes every part of our life, right? And if, if, you're, if you're really set after God, then you want, you have a desire inside of you that your faith is your greatest identification to your family, to your friends, to who you are. Everything you do, you walk by faith and not by sight. A belief system that's on the inside of you that you possess. And so, you know, wrapping up that message, that lesson, I was just, you know, it was, again, it was one of those moments where it was just continuing to kind of to, to simmer inside me. And I, uh, as I did, I thought this is a great moment for me to tag to that message, that lesson, a message that I've been wanting to share for some time now, and I just haven't found the right moment to do so, and I felt like this is the Sunday to do so. And I'm doing it with a, a clear conviction. I'm very excited to share. There are differing viewpoints to the uh, subject matter present today. There's been differing viewpoints historically for uh, many uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years, even in the church, going back to the church, but even perhaps within the people of faith. And so I'll tell you what we're going to talk about in a few moments. But if you'll stand with me, we're going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 14. Now, Joe, I'm just going to kind of hit and miss a little bit here initially. Uh, and if, if they're able to put, I, I gave them a lot in this, uh, today, and I said I'm going to initially, I didn't want to extract the text out just yet. Romans chapter 14, though, is kind of the stimulus here. And it, it, it don't be necessarily fully dependent upon the screen. Always bring your Bible. Right? And in Romans chapter number 14, look at verse 1. It says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, which means kind of a continual dialogue of arguing. If somebody uh, that you perceive as faith, you might deem it weak, but they're living it out, and you may, uh, but, but you don't want to, he just said, receive them. He said, for one believes that he may, may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. Herbs. Verse number three. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Now I know first of all in your mind you're going, wow, I'm ready for lunch right now. <laughs> so now we're going to jump down if we can. Um, let's jump in at the 16th verse, if we can. Let's just jump into the 16th verse. Is that Elijah up there in the screen with me? Okay, no. I do, it's Joe John. I'm just so proud of the young adults in our church. That was what I was wanting to say. And, and they're stepping up. They're just serving and working in the kingdom. I'm so, so grateful. This 16th verse says, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Now, really, the whole context is in the chapter, and we're going to get back to it in a moment. He said, but for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. I'm waiting on a well-appropriated amen. amen. But I know some of you thought, I did, really? Man. But it's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? Verse number 18, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us, therefore, follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things are indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? That's a question. Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. Obviously, part of this context is the familiar uh, phrase in Christianity, Christian liberty. And the apostle here says that uh, happy is the man that does not condemn himself in the thing that he allows. He that doubteth, if you doubt, is damned or condemned if he eat. 
because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So that was kind of how I tagged this to the lesson on Wednesday night. And so I started to title, not that a title matters that much, uh, today's sermon, Whatsoever is Not of Faith is Sin. But that doesn't necessarily set the full context for me. So rather, here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about understanding and avoiding the dangers associated with alcohol. How about that one? Now, before we pray, let me say this very carefully. Don't judge me. And don't judge this message until you've heard the whole thing. Okay? Because this is applicable to everybody, no matter what side of the subject that you're on. And I have a method to this madness, if you'll stay with me. I believe the, the portrait will get painted in front of your eyes here. And you'll see something with greater clarity than what maybe you have seen previously. Amen? So, maybe <laughs> I tell Jace, I said, it's kind of sober in here. <laughs> Never mind, let's move on, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you and we're grateful for this time together. We're thankful for the Word of God. Come on, somebody, we're thankful for the Word of God. Let us learn. Come on, that's, I want to be a teacher. More than a prophet, more than a pastor, today I want to be a teacher so that we can learn the truth together and encourage one another. We do consider one another. That's what the Word says. We consider one another in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, we're going to go ahead and kind of break this down and dialogue together. And we're going to just kind of see, let this thing kind of unfold. And yes, obviously, I do have a lot of scriptures. And we're going to get back to this passage in Romans chapter 14 here in just a little while. Even though that was not necessarily the heart of that text, it was a part of the text. But let's just be honest. This is a common question that's asked in the church. It's been asked in your family. It's been asked in the privacy of your relationships that you have in your family or your friends, in your communication with them about your faith or about their faith. It's been a question that's been wrestled with and pondered and talked about in the church, the family of faith that we have. Am I being truthful here today? I mean, let's just be honest. This is a common question. I mean, your children are going to ask you one day. They are. They're going to say, well, dad or mom or aunt so-and-so or grandma. Well, they want to know. And so their positions vary. Here's the reality. The positions vary in the body. Positions theologically vary. Positions vary within even our own fellowship, uh, the Assemblies of God. Positions vary even within the fellowship of faith that we're a part of right here called First Assembly of God. Now, in the context here, and that's one of the reasons why that I chose this passage in Romans 14, because as Paul concluded in this particular narrative, again, that was not the heart, the full heart of the text, but it was a part of the text. The one thing I really appreciate about what Paul said if I'm summarizing very quickly those first three verses, no matter what side of the aisle that you're on, if there's a genuine faith in, this, in, in the heart and the life of an individual, we still got to be able to have fellowship together. The church has been guilty many times that we cut people off who don't see things exactly the way that we, that we see them. And Pentecostalism has probably been the benchmark of drawing a line and cutting the rest of the body off historically, even under the guise of holiness. Now, those of you that are deeply rooted in Pentecostalism, you're going to think, as I go into this, that I'm taking more of the modern application. And that can't be anything further from the truth. You've got to stay with me, too. But everybody gets mail at their address this morning. Everybody does. I'm not going to leave anybody out. And so, you know, there's a difference in the Bible from wine and strong drink. There, and you have to study this out. There's a difference. Many people believe there's a difference in the wine and the strong drink of generations ago and the modern production of alcohol today and the alcoholic content in the alcohol that is being consumed today. You can do what I did. You can go and Google search and get all the information that you want. Uh, and whatever position that you take, you will find information to validate that position. Right? And so that's why you've got to, as I tell people all the time, you've got to be settled in your own heart and mind what you believe. 
And that's why even Paul, in his summary of this, happy is the man that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allows. He actually arrived at the conclusion that if it's not a faith, it's sin. Even if you refrain, even if you keep yourself, that's one of the errors of Pentecostalism for many years, is we put people in fear. So we were avoiding certain what we called vices of the world, not out of faith, but rather fear. And that might have been just as damaging as creating the liberal mindset that all things uh, you know, never necessarily mattered in the life of a believer. And I don't want to go, I mean, again, sometimes the truth is lying right there in the middle. And we're afraid to draw close to it. So I want to take a moment. So I'm going to be talking about wine. You can't read the Bible and not see the word wine. Or, and, and now typically and almost always strong drink is associated negatively. And I'm going to highlight a little bit of that along the way. But wine is not always used negatively. In the Bible, I'm going to kind of paint the broad picture. Because anytime I study something out, I want to see, I start out in the New Testament epistles, but then I branch and I go deeper. I want to see it that the New Testament epistles is the ending point, but the beginning point is going back into the scriptures. The Bible says, and if we had read over into the 15th chapter of Romans, verse number four says, the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning. Our admonition. So I'm going to read and study. And so as I did so, I was reminded that even when we think about wine and whether or not you think of that alcoholic or not, which I'll allude to in just a moment, the term wine is used positively in scriptures. Did you know one of the very first uh, mentions and the connections and the revelation of covenant with Israel that would be also a foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus Christ came through Melchizedek? the priest of Salem who met Abraham coming back from the battle. And the Bible says that he was both priest and king of Salem, and he met Abraham carrying bread and wine. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Leviticus that one of the meat offerings and the, that accompanied the meat offering, excuse me, to the ancient Israel was a drink offering, that, that they actually literally brought a drink offering and presented it unto God in the temple and the tabernacle was wine. Now, certainly it was most poured out before the Lord as an offering, but we can see it and we, we look at it a little bit different. They, they, it was an agricultural people. Israel was. Uh, grapes and wine was a part of their staple. It was a part of their diet. We'll allude to that more in just a moment. Did you know when God spoke prophetic blessing over Jacob, who was his name was changed to Israel, and which, again, we all consider ourselves heirs by faith, uh, a lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the prophetic word over Jacob. God said to him, God will give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Deuteronomy 7, the Bible said to Israel, God said, he will love you, he will bless you, he'll multiply you, he'll bless the fruit of your womb, he'll bless the fruit of your land, your corn, and your wine, and your oil, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. So we see that being a promise God was making to ancient Israel. Now, I know there's an argument in a moment to what type of wine. What did that mean? Well, I'll, I'll clarify for you if you'll stay with me. I've always loved this passage of Scripture. And, uh, <laughs> oh, David, when, the, when, when they brought the ark of God into the tent, the tent that he pitched for it in Jerusalem, does anybody remember that? The Bible says that he blessed the people. And he, here's what the Bible says in blessing the people that he gave them. He gave everybody a cake of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Man, wouldn't our church? What if Pastor Brown was standing out in the foyer? Everybody got a good piece of bread, a good piece of meat, and a flagon of wine. We, <laughs> Come on now, y'all. It's okay. Y'all are so somber in here today. We got to loosen up just a little bit. I'm drinking from new wine today. I am. Nehemiah chapter 13 says that they brought to Judah all the tithe of the corn and the new wine. Did you know that Israel tied the wine to the, pre, or to the Levite, and the Levite was to take the best of the wine and tie it to the priest? Now, I've had a good coconut pie, but thus far nobody showed up. I would want it, but I'm just telling you, I haven't seen it yet either. 
Proverbs chapter number 3 said, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your, and your presses will burst out with new wine. So we see this in a positive sense. And I love this passage of Scripture right here. You say, Pastor Brown, you love this? Yes, I absolutely do. Because it says in Psalm 104 verse 15 that God will give the wine that makes the glad the heart of man, oil to make his face to shine, and bread which will strengthen his heart. But I especially love the 14th verse that's in front of it that says, He will cause grass to grow for the cattle. He will cause grass to grow for the cattle, herbs for the service of man, and he will bring forth food out of the earth, and wine will then make the glad of the heart. And so you can, and that's just a tasting, just a little bit of a sampling of scriptures that are in the positive sense of a personal application or usage of wine, perhaps in that old dispensation or that old covenant that we see in ancient Israel. We're going to get to the new covenant here in just a moment. But even in those days, there was also negative connotations. Actually, the very first time that you see wine used in all the Word of God is in a negative sense. Genesis chapter number 9, after Noah and the ark had settled on the mountains of Ararat, the Bible says that, that they planted a vineyard and they made wine. And Noah got drunk on the wine and uncovered himself in his tent and was seen by his son. So it's, it's very negative. Genesis chapter number 19, we're aware of when Lot was avoiding the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, had gone into the caves to hide with his two daughters. His two daughters were feared that they wouldn't have a husband, and so they... Uh, enticed their own father to drink until he was intoxicated and knew not himself. And then there was a sec sexual intercourse that took place and produced uh, uh, two lineages of people groups from that moment. It was a very negative moment uh, in Genesis chapter number nine, 19. Then we see Solomon. Solomon had his vice. Solomon fell into idolatry. Solomon married 700 women plus concubines. So we know uh, uh, that Solomon stumbled. But I'll tell you what, Solomon exhorted on the dangers of wine in the Word of God on numerous passages, and you can read this on your own. But I want to go ahead and highlight a couple. Proverbs 20 and 1 says, Wine is a mocker, its strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 21, He that loves pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loves wine and oil shall not be rich. And I love what he said here, Proverbs 31, it, in verse 4 and 5. It said, It is not for kings... O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink. Because if they drink, he said, they'll forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So he was warning political leaders of the day. Man, I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that being adhered to in our culture today. The political leaders had deeper-seated convictions that would skew, they, they not allow themselves to be skewered in their judgment. But... Perhaps one of the most famous exhortations about wine, though, comes to us from Solomon's exhortation in all the Old Covenant. And I'd like to read this to you, and we are going to put this one on the screen. It's Proverbs 23, because he's painting the picture of what can happen when a person becomes addicted to alcohol. Hello? Because the addiction is real. It's destructive. It's affecting many under the sound of my voice, and it's many more yet to come. And we've got to, I think we should talk about it openly in such a way that creates a culture and a climate of men and women that have a new perspective of things. And that's my goal here today. Listen, I'm not here to judge anybody. Like I said, everybody's getting mail at their address today, especially if you'll stay with me long enough. But I see this warning, and I want you to read it there on the screen with me because Solomon, you know, again, I alluded to the many positives in that culture, that agriculture culture of Israel, excuse me, the agricultural lifestyle of ancient Israel, and that was positive. It was viewed positively, but there was a negative connotation to it if it was abused or misused. Proverbs 23 and 29 says, Who hath woe? You've already read it on the screen behind me, I know, but look at it. Who has sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who has babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath the redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Proverbs th verse 31 says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself all right. Now look at this. This makes sense to me. At last it biteth like a serpent. It stingeth like an adder. 
It causes you to behold strange women, and your, and your heart shall utter perverse things. So we could say strange women and men. Hello, somebody. Proverbs 23 and 34. Yea, thou shalt be as he. Look, look at this, though. Here's where he said it leads to. It leads to addiction. See the addiction right here? Read it with me. Thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. So he said this is somebody that's in a hangover. And, and then he said, that, and then he woke up, and he said, I feel like I've been beat up. I don't want to see anybody's hand. I already know. They have stricken me, and I was not sick. They beat me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? He said, but when I wake, I'm going to seek it yet again. And that means it's addictive. And the, and, and the reality of that addiction is real. And it only increases and increases. And so one of the things that put a stimulus, a stimulus in my heart towards this message today is because our culture does such a masterful job of enticing men and women to make something that can be potentially dangerous and deadly be very inviting. And every commercial that you watch that is related to alcohol, they're not showing the full scope. They're not showing the full spectrum. They're not showing the family being broken apart. They're not showing the child being taken into foster care. They're not showing the abused spouse where the, the drunkard husband came home and physically violated his own spouse. They're not showing that. Actually, they're just, you know, showing how the young adults are partying. They never even show old folks drinking. Have you ever noticed that? I, I noticed that. It's always young adults gathered around. Uh, what, I can't ever say it. Is it cor Corona? Corona? Something about getting its lime. Everybody's scandally clad. Everybody's on the beach. Everybody's uh, soft music's playing in the background. Nothing could be better than that moment. And so, and what's happened, church family, is in our culture, even within the church, even within the church, we've not really fully began to talk about it in a new way. What the old way to talk about it was if you're drinking wine, if you're drinking alcohol, you're all going to a devil's hell. That's not going to work because, number one, it's not true. Because we've got to talk about it openly here today. See, I don't want to put a burden on you in the sense of you are making a decision because you have been doing so out of fear. I want it to be out of faith. See, I want you to arrive at conclusions that say, I want to live this way, not because anybody manipulated me or coerced me or I, 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 I was so pressured by the church that I couldn't join the church if I didn't do this or I didn't do that. No, I want things to be born of a Holy Spirit conviction on the inside of you until you get up in the morning and say, I'm this way because of my faith, right? I, I'm happy as the man, come on, that condemneth himself not. Because of our faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. The scriptural narrative there said, without faith, it's sin. And so we've, even in Pentecostalism, we made that dangerous application. We made it without faith. And so some did. Not all. Obviously, there were many that were stimulated by genuine understanding. That's why I tried to label this message, not avoiding the dangers of alcohol, understanding and then avoiding. Did y'all hear that? Does that make sense? Because if you don't have right understanding, you won't have a right application or a right motivation, right? And it will eventually, your commitment will eventually falter. And all you're getting, you need to get understanding. Now, in the scriptural record again, just for a moment of time, the Bible uses once again wine as a positive metaphor it does, as a positive metaphor. What do you mean by a metaphor? I mean like of the bigger picture, not just the personal usage of drink, of a drink, a beverage, or alcoholic beverage, whatever, but as a larger picture. Psalm 4 and 7 says, God has put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increase. Joel chapter number 3, God promised Israel a day when the mountains would drop down with new wine. It was a a picture of, a, of God's vintage and his blessing upon the nation. But we're all familiar with Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 17, when Jesus said, Jesus used in the positive metaphor, he said, you don't take, look at this, he don't take new wine and put it in an old bottle or an old wineskin. He said, but new wine's got to go into new wineskin and both are preserved. 
So Jesus used the positive uh, as a metaphor. I, and I, when I said it earlier today, I mean that. I've got new wine today. Right? In a, new, a whole new system of faith, a whole new system of belief. The old structure, Judaism, couldn't contain it. But Christianity has produced it. New wine is in us, and it's preserved us. We're preserved by the new wine that's on the inside of us. And I'm grateful for it today. But then there's also a negative. Anytime in the Word of God, there's a positive and a negative. And that, guilt, that, that, that reveals to us a larger picture. Psalm 75 says, God is the judge. He puts down one, he raises up another. For the hand of the Lord, there is a cup. And the wine is red. It's full of mixture. So in that narrative, wine is looked at like in judgment. Proverbs 4 and 17 says, For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. And so obviously, church family, as we contemplate it, the only reason why I wanted to take you into the Old Covenant for just a few uh, minutes this morning was to build a little bit larger picture and narrative so that we could see it historically how it was viewed uh, in the uh, ancient Israel and the people of faith. Because as you're going to arrive, your faith's going to define you. Ultimately, everybody's going to arrive at the concluding point where they're working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And we can put certain parameters beside you to the left and the right hand, but we can't dictate all of your conscience for you. Right? I can put it on a, on a piece of paper and say this and that, but listen, that might not be written on the tablet of your heart. And ultimately, all of us are going to have to give account before God. Of whether we, whatever we did in this body, the Bible says, good or bad, right or wrong, we're all individually. But I love what Paul said again. Even though we may differ, we're still to receive one another. And that's been one of the things that's been in my spirit about this message is because I can be honest today in saying, and I don't want to cut the end of my message or reveal it too early, that I'm old school when it concerns this. I mean, I'm as far to the extreme as you can get when it concerns total abstinence. But I've learned to love people and to respect and value people who may not hold the same conviction that I do. And I don't want to be found, even though I may not see it, I may not even appropriate it that way in my mind the way that they do, but listen, if they're authentically and genuinely born again, then I want to love them. And yes, I'm going to do everything I can to influence them. Because you're wrong and I'm right, and that's just the way it is. But we'll get there in a moment of time. Are y'all out there in radio land? All right, so let me go. So, so pastor, is that what we do? I follow the law? Do I follow the, the, the example of the old? No. Let me know the new, even the gospels are not the, the directive towards us it's the new testament epistles hmm do y'all take the time to read the new testament epistles primarily almost exclusively reference not drinking they do occasionally reference this but primarily the dangers of drunkenness and and the reality is and i'll just can i just read a couple real quickly just for for knowledge maybe i know some of you are saying pastor i already know this but yeah but everybody does it right it, is, it was a clear conviction that I can stand before you today to say that drunkenness is a sin. Right? I, can, I mean, just the reality of it is when you see it in the Word of God, the narrative. Let me give you the couple of scriptural references. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And then he lists several things, ultimately saying, including drunkards, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 5. He said, I've written, he even said uh, to not keep company with somebody who is a drunkard. Galatians 5, Paul said the works of the flesh include drunkenness. Right? And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, listen what Peter said. He said, for the times past, our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, I know that's not a word you use every day. I'm sure you like, God, told your children, some of y'all told your children, you've got to be careful of that lascivious behavior. I know y'all don't use that, but it means extreme carousing and sinfulness, debauchery. They said, what Paul is saying, or excuse me, what Peter is saying, he's saying, before we got saved, how I many know we were a sinner? And some, some of you were more gentler sinners than others. 
But some of you were far flung, I mean all the way down in the wickedness of this life. Now the reality is whether we were a semi-milder sinner or whether we were a harsh, hardened, we just reveled in sin. It matters not. We were all guilty of sin. Right? And we are all needing to be justified by faith in Christ. But he's, here's what Peter said, though. He said in, our, in our, the times past, he said our life sufficed us, and we walked in the will of the Gentiles. We walked in lasciviousness. We walked in lust. We walked in excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. And he says, and now, now, the next verse, he said, and now that crowd that you used to run around with, they think you're weird when you don't want to do the things that, they used, that you used to do together. And I guarantee you there are people under the sound of my voice that when you got saved and your life began to change, people that were in your previous circle of life and influence began to talk about you. Right? They began to look down on you and look at you odd and look at you weird because you used to do this and you used to smoke that and drink that and, and do all of that. And now you're trying to keep away from all of that. And now they're talking about you. I'm just telling the truth in here today. But I will tell you what, you got to just know if God's called you out of something, be confident in what He's doing in your life. Be strong. Now's your moment to be a witness to them. Now's your moment to, to, to be a bride and a shining light. And we don't judge and we're not criticizing. We've got the answer. I love this. We don't run from the darkness. We run to the darkness. The darkness can never put out a single light. Can never put it out. It will always shine. Right? And you've got a testimony. You've got a witness. You've got a call on your life. And now you get to be a witness to those who were called in the same vices that you were. So thank God for it. So Peter's saying, man, you know what? Yeah, we used to be like that. Uh, I wrote it this way. I said, it's more than a sin. It's a result of either a heart. Now, drunkenness. Drunkenness. It's a result of either a heart not circumcised to God or flesh that's not crucified. It's one of those two things, isn't it, church family? And so let me go a little bit farther with you today. But the more difficult question, are y'all out there? Here's where it goes. Let me check the time. I'm just now to the good stuff. I'm going to preach till I finish, y'all right with that? The more difficult question then, is it okay or right or acceptable for a born-again believer to drink in the privacy of their own home? That's, the, that's why I knew it would get real quiet in here because nobody's wanting to answer that. Nobody, everybody's going, I'm going to say that right there. We'll just see. Right there, I'm going to just see where he's going with this because my future at this church may be kind of riding on this right here. Right? That, I'm sure that's what you are thinking. So I wrote in my notes this way. We're going to dismiss social drinking. We're not going to talk about that because we're going to group that under the biblical context of banqueting or partying. And I'll tell you, there's no good in that. There's no good. Hello? Well, I'll preach it anyhow, whether y'all tell me amen or not. I'm always, I, there's no good in it, in that. So, but the question, the more difficult question, is, again, about the privacy. Oftentimes, it comes back to what's titled, what we speak of often as Christian liberty. Christian liberty. Where's our, what does our Christian liberty allow us? You know, it's difficult to say certain things that are not plainly spelled out as sin, right? Certain things in the Word of God that cannot plainly say a sin. And let me give you an example of this just very quickly. And in the text that we read, let's go there for just a moment, can we? I won't preach that much longer, but I'm getting to the good stuff right now. Romans chapter number 14, verse number 14. Paul said this, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now remember here, he's talking about food that in this particular context under a religious application that if someone ate there were those that believed or perceived that it would make them unclean. So part of it is the kosher laws of Israel that's bled over even in the context of the early church. And so you know that even to this day, within Judaism and within their diet and there were certain foods, if you ate certain things, it was kosher, it was allowable, but if you ate other things, it was considered unclean. I know if you were at Max Catfish House last night, to the Jew, that would be Unclean, So we could see that's the broader context. But he does connect drinking with it here just a little bit. And Paul said this, and no, this is where the challenge of this is, for us making a modern application. Because here it says that there's nothing unclean of itself. Well, Paul, so Paul was not riding in the day of crystal meth. 
Can I, can I, can I kind of deter for just a second? Because, you, you know, you can say, well, the, Jesus himself said it's not what goes in the man that defiles the man, but it's what comes out of the man that defiles him. That's absolutely true. But I'll tell you what, today, again, he wasn't living in a generation of crystal meth, right? Because I'll say this today, crystal meth is unclean, right? And so you can't just group everything under this as Christian liberty is what I'm trying to say and say that he says, anytime you see the word, the full words like nothing or anything, they still have to be bound to the context a little bit. Because I'm telling you, crystal meth is unclean. And so, in, in saying that, the only reason I'm using that as a foreign example is to say we're still trying to find out what does our Christian liberty allow. Paul doesn't talk a lot about Christian liberty here. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. And time doesn't allow us. Maybe next week we'll dialogue that just a little bit further. But we, we recognize that there are some things in our walk before God that's not spelled out exactly in Scripture as sin. We call that can be sins of conscience. We, can, we call that choices that we're allowed to make. The Apostle Paul talked about to one that might be sin, to someone else, sometimes culture creates it. Time doesn't allow us again to fully evolve that, but are you all with me out there so far? So the Apostle here in this dialogue is challenging us, and he's arriving at a conclusion uh, that, that we have some liberties, and we've got to guard those liberties and protect those liberties, Correct. We don't want those liberties. I tell you what, the liberty, even within Christianity, we see freedom in America being exploited. Right? We're selling ourselves out to the appetite of the flesh as Americans. And it happens even within Christian liberties. If you're not careful, because the flesh can never be satisfied. It's always longing for more. The only thing the flesh can be done is mortified, put to death. And put it in its proper context. And so here, the Apostle Paul then, as he's writing about this, and he's teaching us about our own convictions, we certainly have to say to our, in, in, our, in our own spirit, we, yes, we're free from strict religious restrictions that previously were thought necessary to demonstrate holiness. And Paul even later questioned the validity of his freedom of choice being restricted by another's conscience. But here's where Paul brought a summary about this most difficult subject. Because there are those in their mind that we've justified it and say, well, you know what, uh, you know, uh, if, I, if I'm in moderation, is it okay? If it's in the privacy of my own home, is it okay? And, and that's a difficult question. To, to There are differing viewpoints under the, and nothing that I'm going to say today is probably going to change some of the perception of some on, on that particular subject about whether or not it's acceptable in the private. And here's what we do. We contemplate. Let me take a moment to just tag this real quickly. Tag this about our personal liberty. Well, we look back at the Bible days, and we say, with the Bible, they were drinking. Some people said that they thought Jesus was drinking wine. Well, no, the Bible never says Jesus was drinking wine. He was just amongst those. But did you know that even then, when you see the term that was positively used of wine, did you know that there was different ways to make wine in those days than there is now? And that almost all wine in those days was diluted at least to three to one? And when they diluted it to three to one, it brought the alcohol content level to below 3%. That it takes in modern culture today 3.24 to actually be considered an alcoholic beverage. So when we do read about wine somewhat positively in the scripture, it may not even be under the same context of wine that we see today where the alcohol content is 10 to 14%. Or it's definitely not even the hard liquors today that can go. When you can run your vehicle, is that bad? Right? When you, then I'm not for sure. Dad, you ought to be putting that in your body. That's, I'm just saying that, just real quickly. So, but the point that I'm trying to make at, and I want to be very careful because i got to get to my main point in closing today. And if I, don't, if, I, if I go back home and listen to this message, and I'm sure I will, if I feel like I left, did it, uh, didn't do it justice, I'll pick it back up next week, right? Because it means that much to me. Because here's something that I want everybody, I want you to see. Paul arrived at a conclusion. And this should be a conviction in the heart of all of us. Paul arrived at a conclusion. Everything might be, a law, might be lawful or allowable, but maybe everything shouldn't be practiced, especially if it causes somebody to stumble. And that becomes, that was Paul's greatest conviction about the freedom, the choices of freedom that he wrote about. And he even defended he defended in multiple passages of Scripture because Judaizers had come in and tried to bring people back under the strict religious adherence to the law. And Paul knew that it wasn't through circumcision or following a set standard that created someone's faith and their righteousness and their justification. How many know that was found only in the cross? Right? 
And so, but Paul said, and that we read it in our text today, he said, I will neither eat meat. That means some of you are planning to go to KFC today. But if somebody else, Paul said, was in our own fellowship, if that soul gripped them in their heart and they were just turned over in their spirit that you were found eating meat at KFC, Paul said, I won't even go to KFC. Right? Because if it's going to cause, he's using that as a teaching point for us. And what he's saying is, as a Christian, our solemn responsibility is to care one for the other. And to, and to be very, and very much concerned how our life and our lifestyle affects other people. Right? And that's where I can conclude in that particular narrative. Paul said, if it becomes a stumbling block to someone else, then Paul said, I'm going to make a conscious decision to guard my heart and guard my life. Does that make sense? Now, listen, uh, we, can, we'll, we can dialogue at a later date and time whether or not a Christian actually has the freedom of choice to do that in the privacy of their own home. But I will say this. There are people under the sound of my voice today that though you can perhaps handle it or you have a perceived mindset that you can, I guarantee that there's there under the sound of my voice who cannot, who cannot. And we have to be considerate of one for the, of the other. Now, I want to I I kind of close here because for the sake of time, people watch already told me it's time to start wrapping up. But let me say this. This is something in my heart today, and I, I thought about this. I thought, you know what? We're, I know that in the cool churches today, people aren't teaching this. I know that. But I ain't concerned about being cool. Right? I'm concerned about presenting you holy and blameless before our Savior one day. You know, I was grieved when uh, my, my kids, uh, Austin and Lauren, had, were going to a cool church in Anchorage for a while because it was a cool church. It was born out of a church that had a historical root in holiness. And, but, but you know what separate, caused them to separate from that church is because the pastor, a part of his sermon one day, told about how that he had a small brewery in the basement of his home. And so, and, and I'll tell you what, I, and I was glad that, they, that that sparked something inside them and said, you know what, I don't necessarily know that I want that to be being communicated from the pulpit. Does that make sense here today? And the challenge, and so I understand, I understand all that, but the one thing that I will say about Pentecostalism, let me say this, the Assemblies of God, if you go onto our website, the, the Assemblies of God, and you look up position papers, there is an outstanding article, 18 pages, under the title of Abstinence from Alcohol that's as new as 2016. This was written in 2016. And I tell you what, there is tremendous information in here. And I encourage everybody to go online and read it for yourself. And they shared all the, the historical stance and the position, that the holiness movement and all of that. And that's powerful, and I believe in it. I'm right there with everybody. But the one thing, though, that I think that we omitted, though, and that was a driving point in my heart today, is that the one thing they omitted was is that they recognized that good, even godly people differ on what side of the interpretation of this text and what, what our Christian liberty allows us to do. And the one thing they failed to do was to say, but the Bible says we're to receive one another. Paul said, now, no, did you notice the argument? Whether one group thinks the other's weak. See, I come from the historical route. The historical root of total abstinence. So it's easy for me to see someone else and say they're weak in their faith or they wouldn't be doing that. But there are others that practice and drink in the privacy of their home and they look at somebody else who has total abstinence and they say they don't understand our liberty. One thinks the other is weak from what they have a perceived sense of strength. But Paul said this, we're to not cut off each other. We're actually still had to find fellowship one with the other. And I've learned to do so. That was a change and a shift in me for somebody that's been a Pentecostal preacher for 30 years now. And I've said, you know what, I can't cut off everybody. I can't not. I can't say, if, it, as, if that person's got, matter, matter of fact, I don't want to any longer. I've got greater compassion uh, in my heart today for people that struggle with addictions than I ever have. I want to see people set free. He that the Son set free is free indeed. And I don't want to be the church that we have created such a mindset amongst ourselves where we think if somebody doesn't see it exactly the way we do, that we can't have fellowship to a certain degree with them. I'm going to still love people, right? 
But I want it, so I'm saying this, if there are those under the sound of my voice that you're a mature Christian believer and you do, uh, you do drink in moderation in your, the privacy on your own home and you've justified it in your own personal studies, you and I can talk about that later today. I want, to, I want you to know today that, man, my arm of love and fellowship and my value and I appreciate who you are and I am glad that you're a part of this church. But let me say this, but just because you're here doesn't mean that I'm not going to steal try to call you and everybody else out over to my way of thinking. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to do it in a badgering way. I'm not going to do it in a belittling way. I'm not going to do it in such a way that it beats you down in your brow, but I am going to do it in a way that hopefully inspires you so that you can live your life in faith and the full assurance before God and be all that God's called you to be. So I'm going to close with telling you the five reasons why that Pastor Brown is a total abstainer from alcoholic beverages. Can I do that here today in closing? Right? Number one is separation. I still believe in the old principle of being separate from the world. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive them. Separation can agitate the anointing in my life. Separation is where I preserve the gift of God that's on the inside of me. And I'm not saying that we don't go into the darkness. Absolutely, we go into the darkness. But there comes a moment where you want to draw a line in your own life and say, you know what? I've got to, I can't have, I can't straddle. I've got to be here. And so years ago, I drew that line and said, I don't want to be on that side. I want to be reaching over into that world and pull people out. Right? So separation from ungodliness. That's number one. That's for me. I'm trying to share you my own personal convictions today. Does that make sense? In closing, in closing, I'm about to close. Number two is the priest was prohibited from having drunk alcoholic beverages of any kind when he went into the holy place. And so for me personally, that means a lot to me personally because I just want to be pleasing to God all, whether I'm on the clock or not, whether I'm serving in the temple or not, whether I'm in front of you or not, I just want to, I want to, I want to have access to his presence. And I want you to have access to his presence. Does that make sense here today, right? Number three, number three, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number five, it says, don't be with, drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know today, there's a reason why that I don't drink wine and I don't drink beer, because I don't need that buzz. I've got a flame of fire shut up on the inside of me. I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. I don't have to go to any type of uh, intoxicant at any level to bring me down or to raise me up. I just got to get along with my Jesus. When I'm down, he lifts me up. When I'm high and haughty, he brings me low. Whatever the case, I found his presence to satisfy all that I need. And I have that as a passion inside me, and I hope you do as well. Number four, I definitely don't want to be a stumbling block. God forbid that you'd come over to my house, and Leroy would be on the front porch with Sister Sherry. Sister Sherry, run in and get one of her. I don't want that. And I know you don't either. Right? I don't want to set a stumbling block for anybody. I want to guard. I want to guard my relationship with people in the body of Christ. And I hope you do as well. You say, well, Pastor, yeah, I understand because you're in this position. Of, you know, you're on the stage. Yeah, but I'm, listen, everybody's influencing somebody. And number five, and y'all know this one was going to make it on the platform right here. Number five, and it's born out of number four. I don't want to ever see my children get caught in that vice and be able to say, Dad, but we saw you do it. And that's my conviction. I always want to be in a position of strength when I'm talking to my children. Even as they age and they become mature and they face challenges and they face temptations, I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, you didn't see Dad have to have it and neither do you. Come on, somebody. That's the, way I want, that's the way I've lived my life for 30-something years. And I'm unashamed of that today. And so I'm not today, as I close this message, this is not a condescending message, is it? Right? And it's definitely not as enlightening as what it could be because the subject is too deep and too broad to, to handle fully and adequately in just one little snippet on a Sunday morning. But in conclusion today, let me say this. Let's re re rehearse real quickly. 
I believe Pentecostalism has it right when we encourage people to be totally abstinent from all alcohol. But I do. But I believe we failed in one sense because we created a mindset of fear versus faith. If I teach you from a way of faith, but then I have to back away and allow the Holy Spirit to work that in your life. Right? Because if I don't, then I'm trying to do what the Holy Spirit can do, and that's convict you or teach you. I can't. And then I have to love you enough that if you met, Paul said, why are we judged? Why are we judging one another? You make your decision, you got to own that decision. And i got to respectfully back up in that sense and say, I still love you and we still have fellowship. You're going to give account before God and so am I. So that's a change. That's a shift in me. Number two, I'm deeply grieved about the younger generation because the world is pulling even our own young men and women in our church family, enticing and luring and pulling. And it seems like we have no balance. It's almost like the church, we've lost our ability to address these things today. Does that make sense? And I don't want that. Oh, would to God we would see a new generation of men and women rise up in the church and say, God, I want this out of faith, not out of fear. Because you said whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I want my life to be pleasing to him, don't you? Number three, I want our church to be a church that's compassionate to people who are struggling with addictions. Did you hear that? I want our church to be a church where men and women that are truly, genuinely struggling with addictions can say, you know what, I found people that love me, they cared for me, they didn't wallow in my self-pity. If you're looking for self-pity from me, you ain't getting it. Mm -mm, You're not, right? But if you're looking for somebody that says, sometimes I won't fight for you, but I'll fight with you, right? You got to do your part. You got to do, as long as you're trying, I'm trying. Does that make sense? The moment you do, the moment you stop trying, then I can't go there with you because I can't live your life for you. And neither can this church. But what we can promise you is this, and we're going to love you. We want to bring, we want to see you come out on the other side victorious in Christ Jesus. So as I close this message today, totally and completely, actually draw the line and say, that's all I can talk about today. It is a controversial subject. How many believe it is? It's easy to mishandle it, isn't it? It's easy, it's easy to be on either side of biblical interpretation as to out what our Christian liberties allow. Right? But I'll tell you what, I believe that God, God can be glorified by people who rise up in faith and say, God, I don't want to be drunk with wine wherein is excess. But I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit of God. Let's let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed. And let's pray a very special and closing type of prayer here today.